You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 17. Well, hey there, welcome back to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and as always, I am honored and grateful that you are allowing me to spend a little bit of your day with you. Today, we are talking with one of my dear friends and esteemed colleagues, Barbara Troutline. We are going to talk about how to stop getting in the way and coach stakeholders to help not hurt your projects. Before we dive in, let me tell you a little bit about Barbara. In addition to being my organizational change management superhero, she's also a PhD and author of the best-selling book, Change Intelligence. Use the power of CQ to lead change that sticks. She's also the principal founder of Change Catalysts and originator of the CQ system for developing change intelligent leaders and organizations. For over 30 years, Barbara has coached executives, trained leaders at all levels, certified change agents, and facilitated mission critical change management initiatives, achieving bottom line business and powerful leadership results for clients. And this is so super cool to me and not a surprise at all. In 2015, she had the honor of being awarded Change Management Consultant of the Year by the Association of Change Management Professionals Midwest Chapter. She is truly gifted at sharing strategies and tactics that are accessible, actionable, and immediately applicable. And that is why I had to share Barbara with you all here, all of my impact drivers, because I know like me, you want to have the practical takeaways and the list of things that we can go do right away to affect the changes that we're trying to create. And it's not just about the theory and it's not just about the stories. Those certainly help give us the context of what we're trying to do, but we also just want to know how do I put this in practice right away? So Barbara is the person to talk to when it comes to change intelligence and bringing people with you through the change process. So with all of that said, uh, my dear friend and someone I have shared many stages with and am truly honored to know, Barbara Troutline. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. Thank you. So today we are going to talk about an incredibly important topic to everyone listening today, whether it's sponsors blessing and abdicating or end users resisting or project team members not following through with their accountabilities. That never happens, right? As a PMO leader, you grapple with challenging stakeholder behaviors every single day. So in this session, we are going to talk about highly interactive learning experience and how you can learn about potential root causes of the seemingly difficult behaviors that we deal with sometimes in the workplace and what you as a PMO leader can do to coach others to become collaborative contributors to have a positive impact, build relationships, and get results for your projects. Are you guys ready to dive in? I know I am. I am. <laughs> All right. So to start, Barbara, you've created this really cool concept called change intelligence or CQ, which is your foundational approach. 
I've heard you describe it as vital competency for any PMO leader, right up there with EQ or emotional intelligence. Can you talk about this CQ concept and what it means? Sure, absolutely. So how I define CQ or change intelligence is that change intelligence is the awareness of our style of leading change and every project is a change. So every PMO leader is a change leader. That's my terminology. So it's our awareness of our style of leading change and our ability to adapt our style to be optimally effective across people and situations. So first of all, the awareness of our style and then the ability to adapt our style. So to get the most out of our brief podcast today, um, just let me explain what those styles of leading change are so the listeners can self-diagnose. because uh, it's a simple but powerful model. What I say is that people lead change, lead projects, lead PMOs from one of three ways. That some people lead from the heart, that's focusing on the people. They're very engaging and collaborative and communicative. Some people lead more focusing on the head. That's the vision, the strategy, the purpose, the goal of the change of the project. And some people lead primarily from the hands. That's the process. That's the the tactics. That's the the organization. That's the details that's moving from here to there. Um, Just like we each have a head, a heart, and most of us have two hands, each of us do lead from those three styles. However, we tend to have a preference. We tend to have a preference reference that energizes us that we're when we're at our best that's really what distinguishes us and 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 that we bring to the table um so i do have an assessment by the way that people can take to see um What's my combination? What's my preference for leading from the heart, the head, the hands? Um, There's actually seven styles of leading change when you put that all together. Um, That's kind of beyond the scope of this podcast. We're just going to talk about leading from head, heart, hands right now. Um, But if people do want to take the assessment, um, you know, I'm free to um, share it for free with the first 50 people who reach out to me, um, or I can just share more information about how they can take it. But it's a very intuitive model, right? It's a very intuitive model. So again, think about um, as we're talking, what, uh, what, again, you think your primary style is, because that's going to have implications for how you engage for change with people of other styles, and how you're able to um, kind of deal with and, you know, quote, quote unquote, overcome um, difficult stakeholders' behaviors by adapting your style. So that's basically CQ, being aware of your own style, whether you lead primarily from the heart, engaging the people, the head, the, the purpose or the hands, the process, and then being able to adapt, bring in other styles, other behaviors, um, uh, because the only thing you can control is yourself anyway, right? Your, your, your mindset and your behavior. So you can engage across a broader variety of stakeholders at different critical phases in the project. Oh, absolutely. And I have to tell you, I learned some good things about myself, both my strengths and my blind spots uh, from the session you did as a part of the PMO Impact Summit recently. And when I was watching, and I had read your book before and I've done your assessment and I just, I have to tell all of you listening today, definitely go check it out. It is so valuable to you to help you understand and improve your change intelligence. And I happen to know my styles. I kind of tend to be in that I'd say high head, high hands kind of driver mode. And also I get really executor, right? You know, dead in the middle of that high hands area. I am the get it done girl. And so many people say to me, they have no idea how many, how I get so many things done in a day. And quite frankly, I don't know either some days. And 
it's because that's how I'm driven and motivated and focused. And I also learned from you that because of that, there can be some blind spots that I might have that will prevent me from being as effective, from driving as fast as I want to. And I learned a lot from you about bringing people with me through the change process and taking care of the people through the change process and helping them see the vision and the ideas that I have, not just saying, well, don't you see it? Don't you get it? Don't you understand? As well as um, understanding that not everybody can move at the pace that I can move and I need to be thoughtful of that. So you've just taught me so much through all of this. So I'm just so glad that we're getting to talk about it a little bit today. And every one of you listening, definitely go check the show notes. Definitely go look up Barbara, grab that book, take her up on this opportunity to take the assessment because it is incredibly eye-opening and will change the way you manage your people and lead your lead the organization going forward i 100 percent guarantee it okay, well thank so you so much that- yeah and, and thanks for that and just to just to build on a couple things you said laura is that that is a very common progression that i see in the project management world that mm-hmm. a lot of folks um start off um pretty high hands as i say um yeah. really um because again that's what is what is the project management world you know bring to the table what's the goal that you give the world is all those processes right the processes the methods and methodologies the tools for managing projects right and programs and portfolios that's the gift very focused on the hands. Um, however, a lot of project management professionals, as um, they progress in their career, recognize that um, uh, that, can, that significant strength can be an overdone strength, right? Focusing so much on the details in the process, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that could frustrate others who want to either, uh, 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 you know, again, who have different things on their radar screen, right? And also, because we're so focused on the process and the tools and the details, can neglect or be blind to other critical aspects of the change that are, that are very important important others. So for example, the head. Um, so often there's frustrations attempting to engage business leaders and change and sponsors. And because what's on their radar screen is the head, is the vision, is the strategy. How is this project going to further my business, right? What are the risks in this approach that might be, get in the way of my business? If we don't speak in the business language, right? If we don't enlighten the head, right? And connect on that level, then resistance will result. Similarly, so many times we have issues on our projects because either we ch- we are struggling to engage our project team members, right, who might only report to us on a part-time basis, Um, and we might also struggle with engaging end users, right, the people that are impacted by the change, because what's on their radar screen is, again, perhaps more heart-oriented considerations. Um, You know, do I know you? Do we have a relationship? Um, There's some emotional resistance here. There's some fear. There's some resentment, Um, whatever it is, and so if we don't also connect on that heart level, right, try to engage the heart, um, and sometimes that means going slower, slowing our pace we want to. Sometimes it means altering our plans to incorporate the input um, of others, right? Um, That can be also frustrating and that could unintentionally cause resistance in the people that we're trying to engage for change. Yeah, and that's a great lead into the next thing I want to talk about a little bit because anytime I am talking about change management or bringing people through change, which is basically every time I'm talking about PMOs or project (laughs) management because to me, It is the core foundation and anything that I talk about on stages, anything I talk about in my training programs, it all has this underlying firm foundation around organizational change management. One thing I hear a lot though, when I ask people, let's say I'm uh, doing one of my keynotes and I'm on stage and I say, okay, how many of you feel that people are resistant to change? Almost every hand goes up. And I don't believe that. I personally believe that people are not resistant to change. They're resistance to having change 
done to them. And so I'm always trying to help people understand it's the way we're going about it and, you know, control what we can, right? It's the way we're going about bringing people through change that causes the challenges. So I believe every PMO leader needs to have a strong CQ in order to be effective in their role. So how does building our CQ help us deal with resistance to change when we see it and coaching our stakeholders to be effective contributors to our projects in PMO? Yeah, absolutely. So I totally agree with you. One expression I love is by Rosa Beth Moss Cantor. She wrote Change Masters back in the day. She's a Harvard guru. And she says that change is threatening when done to us, exhilarating when done by us. And so one maxim we know from the change management world is that participation leads to ownership. Participation leads to higher quality decisions and it leads to ownership. And mm -hmm. so how does change, you know, how does building our CQ help us overcome what looks like resistance in others? Well, I think that if you think about and our listeners think about what, res what how resistance is manifesting on our projects right now and in our PMOs, I, in my experience, a lot of resistance boils down to three different categories. People don't get it, first of all. They don't get the what and the why of the project. I think that's kind of the cognitive intellectual resistance or people can't do it right they might get it but they just don't know how to behave consistently with the change or the new expectations or there are barriers standing in the way of good people adopting the change communication barriers reward system barriers operational barriers whatever or the third is that they don't like it or they don't like you <laughs> that there's some kind of emotional resistance right that's standing in the way fear threat loss whatever it is every change is an emotional journey right and we need to one you know one thing that i i, I frequently coach PMO leaders, project managers at all levels about is to use your own and others' emotions as data. Use your own and others' emotions as data. So often the best laid plans, the most logical, efficient project that we're rolling out, why do they sub-optimize and derail? It's not the logic, it's it's not the not the plan, it's the emotions behind it and people's emotional sources of resistance. And if we don't look at those emotions as data, incorporate them into our plans, sometimes even go slower than we want to, right? To have more of those um, input opportunities, we're gonna fail. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So let's make this really practical for people. Can you talk about an example of these different scenarios of kind of, you know, I one thing that frustrates me, um, and I remember I used to say all the time was, you know, people just don't get it. They don't understand what I'm trying to do. And that, I guess, was when I was in more of my head mode, I guess. Yes. Can you talk about an example of that and what that might look like and what we would do about it? Yeah, absolutely. So that's very frequent when we're dealing with business leaders, right? It can be very frequent that we're very frustrated with our business leaders, our sponsors who are not engaged optimally in sponsoring our project and, and um, you know, and, 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 and uh, sponsoring the change to their, their peers and their organizations. And so I always say that the most important competency for leading change isn't head, heart, hands, it's courage. It's the yeah. opportunity to facilitate, right, those courageous conversations because what you see depends on where you sit. I see time and time again how it's so easy to vilify business leaders, but what you see depends on where you sit. So often the higher up you go in an organization, the difficult, more difficult it is to get any feedback at all, let alone real time and actionable feedback. So we can get into the should mode, right? Sponsors should know what to do. They should have the information. They should get it. They, sh they should see it, but that's just 
shitting on ourselves and others, right? Um, and <laughs> because because what I see so often, again, getting back to the you know vilifying them, so often again, I've coached these executives behind closed doors, as have many of your listeners, and I've heard so many times um, the fear that's there. We think about fear on the front lines. There's fear at every level, and so so often there's the imposter syndrome that comes up. You know, executives have gotten to the level in their career, um, and and sometimes they they sit back and they say they question whether they can meet this new daunting change challenge. Can they really get in front of this project, um, this huge initiative, and can they really effectively champion it, right? And what's the, what's the impact of potential failure? So I see that imposter syndrome so, so much. So it's often an opportunity to, again, we think we sh they should know what the impact is. They should know what they can do in their role in the sponsor. But so often we don't really train and educate people about what a sponsor means and what specifically a business lead leader needs to do to champion a change or to partner with us effectively. So I often say we had to take the opportunity to sit back and often educate our sponsors because we and build that relationship. Relationships get results. Um, yeah. And so remember that every influence attempt is both an opportunity to further our project goals as well as to build relationships with our key stakeholders. Oh my gosh. Yes. I remember one of my favorite CEO clients said to me once that he, before he knew what it took to be a sponsor, he was a terrible sponsor. And mm -hmm. now he knows so much more about what is expected in that role, but he didn't right away. And so I actually created a little mini program called How to Train Your Sponsor. Uh, and I think there's actually probably a blog post out there. Maybe I'll do a podcast episode about that as well. But in our membership program, I specifically have a course called How to Train Your Sponsor because people make assumptions that they should just know what to do and they don't necessarily. If they've never sponsored a project or PMO before, how are they supposed to know what to do? So it's incumbent upon us to build that relationship and kind of get that agreement of here's how you need to support me for this to be effective. Here's what I'm going to do for you and all that. What about, okay, now this is the one that's personally the one I just can't stand, the can't. Like I can't do it or we can't do it or that kind of negative thinking. And in our household, we have a rule that the word can't is not allowed in our vocabulary because that limiting belief will keep us from achieving our goals and being in our brilliance. So what do you do in that scenario? Yeah, I love that. So I'm an organizational psychologist by training. Um, so I'm going to take a step back and talk about what we call in psychology, the fundamental attributional bias fundamental attributional bias. And basically that means that when we look at other people, what do we see? We see their behaviors, right? We see their behaviors. Can we see their intent? No, we cannot see our, their intent. When we look at ourselves, what do we know? We know the positive intent behind our behaviors, right? So what is that? What's the implication of that? Well, so often we look at what other people do or don't do or say or don't say, and it can be very easy when they're, what they're saying is not aligned with our goals that we can again vilify them, that we can assume it's a skill, a will, not a skill issue. Um, and we make up stories. <laughs> about our stakeholders. And in our stories, we're the victim and they're the villain, right? They're intentionally not complying. They're intentionally not, you know, saying they can't do it, but we really believe they can. So I always say, that start with looking at questioning that assumption that you're making and asking, is it really a will issue? Is it a motivation issue, right? Or is it a skill issue? Um, uh, again, is it something that, you know, again, it, it helps us be more empathetic with others, in, in, first of all, and more generous with others, because oftentimes um, what, um, what, what looks like resistance, you know, people might have had um, a one-off training class, but they need the coaching, right? People might have had some coaching, but there might be barriers in the system 
around that are preventing good people from complying with our projects. Some studies show that 86% or more of what looks like an individual performance issue is actually a systemic issue. That if you put people, you put a person against a bad system, a good person against a bad system, the system is going to win every time. And so wow. often, yeah, we stop, we stop short of really looking at all the tentacles of what's impacted by our processes and all the other, right, you know, challenges and priorities and systems and organizational constraints that people are dealing with. So even if they have the skill as an individual, sometimes they don't have the skill to navigate a complex system, and that could be an actual procedural system or just the political system, the organizational constraints to get from here to there. Wow. Okay. So that really flips that whole concept on its head. It may not be a resistance from them. It may actually be the system they're working in that's creating an environment where they can't be um, at their best and, and helping to contribute the way you'd like. So that's great. Oh my God. Exactly. So just like with our sponsors and senior leaders, what you see depends on where you sit, right? And they right. don't get it and they don't get their role unless we help and, and the impact of what they're doing and not doing, unless we help them see that. The same right. thing with dealing with our peers or people or, this, or the end users of our change, right? What you see depends on where you sit. So we as PMO leaders and, and project managers, we need to be relentless in soliciting that upward feedback about what people are seeing and what is standing in their way instead of vilifying people, throwing them under the bus, right? Getting frustrated, yeah. you know, get at their level, see what they're seeing. Um, because again, um, I think that if we all have access to similar information, right? That yeah. we might really see things very similarly and be able to partner together for a go forward solution. Yeah, see, you've just given me a completely d different way to look at it as well. That's great. So now here's the tough one. What about that third type of resistance? I don't like it and I don't like you, the emotional, effective type of resistance. What ideas can you share on that front? Yeah, again, well, I think, you know, one of my favorite expressions is relationships get results. And that, you know, as much as we can to build the relationships beforehand with people, put that deposit in our emotional bank account, because during times of change, we're going to need to make a withdrawal. So again, even though it takes more time, um, uh, you know, it's not a one and done. Um, and, and this is where I say that um, use your own and others' emotions as data. Use your own and others' emotions as data. Change is an emotional journey. And how can we, again, see from the perspective of the, the people that are being impacted by the change, what their fears and losses? Because one thing that we know is that us in the PMO world, on our project teams, we've been thinking about the changes that we're introducing to people for a lot longer that they have. And so what's on our radar screen tends to be the positive possibility or at least the need, the business need for the change. When people are first introduced to a change, what they often do, and to your point um, about people hate change, right? What are they thinking of? They're thinking about what's not going to work. They're thinking mm -hmm. about what they're going to lose. They're thinking about the impact on the people. They're thinking about the impact on the process, right? And, you know, they might not think about it consciously, but they're thinking, I haven't had my say in this, right? This isn't mm -hmm. how I would do it. Who are they to do this, right? You know, all these emotional kind of thing. So sometimes what looks like resistance is people just haven't had the time, right? So sometimes we just, again, need to give people time to wrap their heads around the change, to really process it, right? And ideally, again, since ownership, participation leads to ownership, even if it's a small way that we can collect opinions, right? Solicit input, allow people some control, some agency over some part of the change that we're rolling out, that will go so far to reduce resistance to the project that we're proposing, as well as build that sense of relationship and trust with us as the leader. 
Wow. That's great. That's great. Okay. So you've just blown my mind completely. <laughs> and I already had read the book and I've already been applying a lot of things. And quite frankly, I teach a lot of this stuff, but you have a way of putting it together. That's just given me so many new ideas and ways I can uh, address resistance and help my students that are in my impact engine PMO coaching program, uh, help them kind of understand how they can contribute and move things forward more effectively. So with all of that said, what are some of your top tips for dealing with each of these types of resistance and kind of some takeaways for the audience as we wrap up today? Well, as we wrap up, I would just say that there's an opportunity for us to reframe what looks like resistance from our enemy to our ally. Reframe yeah. resistance from enemy to ally, that really resistance isn't futile, it's fertile. It's a powerful source of information that we as PMO leaders can use to change the only thing we can, which is we already noted as ourselves. So yeah. if when we're looking at, yeah, our key stakeholders that we're attempting to lead through change, if um, it seems like the resistance is that they don't get it, that they're confused, um, they don't understand why the change is needed, the business case, the metrics, ask yourself, have I created and communicated a compelling vision and case for change? Have I painted the picture so others can dream the dream? If you're observing your people and what you see as a source of resistance, is that frustrating? I can't do it. They're not having, behaving consistently with the change. Maybe they need a dose of the how, the hands. Um, ask yourself, have I made the parts that I'm asking them to play? And the expectations and the deliverables crystal clear. Have I provided training and developmental experience for people to build new comp uh, competencies and coach them to feel confident and empowered? And have I provided the resources and removed barriers to make them successful. And finally, if what you're really seeing is that emotional resistance, I don't like it and I don't like you, um, uh, then, you know, uh, or passionless, you know, compliance or demotiv demotivated resignation, then ask yourself, have I engaged people in the change beyond just the intellectual level? Have I made it personal, the emotional appeal, right? Um, and am I, as a leader in general, again, looking forward, building those relationships ahead of time, continuously listening, giving and receiving honest feedback, keeping a pulse on the, keeping a finger on the human pulse of the, of the transition? Really, am I kind of emerging as, um, you know, a leader who's leading the, the, the PMO, remembering that what is a PMO, what is an organization? It's comprised of people and people make or break, um, as we know, you know, any kind of change. So again, remember that behind every complaint is a request. See if we can move from judgment to curiosity, right? From yeah. vilifying and shooting ourselves and others to really, you know, wanting to, wanting to understand, um, partner with people and integrate all our needs and concerns to the extent that we can, obviously, into the resolution strategy. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for being here. And as people are kind of going back and thinking about this and putting all this into practice, what do you want to make sure that they remember? I know you've talked before about the platinum rule. What is that? And how do we kind of carry that with us when we go forward? Yes. Well, I didn't make this up. I wish I had, but basically we all know the golden rule. Do unto yeah. others as we want to be done unto. When we talk about leading change, follow the platinum rule. Do unto others as they want to be done unto. So that's change intelligence in a nutshell is be aware of our style um, and be able to adapt our style. So we as leaders can give people what they need to get it, to want it, and to be able to do it. That's basically CQ in action. 
Ah, I love it. Wow, Barbara, thank you so much for sharing all of this with our impact drivers today. And can you remind everyone how they can find you online and through your programs and your book? Sure, absolutely. Well, the best option is just to go on my website, which is changecatalysts.com. And on that website, they can download two free chapters of my book. Um, again, uh, they, there's video, there's audio, go to the resource page, you can download research papers on the 10,000 plus CQ assessment database, um, resources to help you adapt as a change leader and build skill in that way. And then from information about my, you know, workshops, webinars, and also my certification program in change intelligence, which is approved for credit by the PMI and several other organizations as well. Ah, wonderful. Well, that's it, Impact Drivers. I hope you've enjoyed this wonderful episode. And with these tools and new ways of thinking and Barbara's book and all of her resources, you've got exactly what you need to go make a huge impact with the PMO. That's all for today. I hope you've enjoyed this session. Thank you and have a high impact day. Bye-bye for now.